Melkor's envy grew then the greater within him, and he also took visible form, but because of his mood and the malice that burned in him, that form was dark and terrible. And he descended upon Arda in a power and majesty greater than any of the other Valar, as a mountain that wades in the sea and has its head above the clouds and is clad in ice and crowned with smoke and fire. And the light of his eyes, the light of Melkor's eyes, was like the flame that withers with heat and pierces with a deadly cold. guys welcome to keep on tolkien episode five welcome oh, back welcome back that was the excerpt for the day about our subject melkor 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 for those who don't know we mentioned him in the last episode yes briefly he was uh he was sauron's uh path to power more or less he was sauron's initial lord mm-hmm. he's the original dark lord exactly that's one of his many names. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, the name Melkor um, means uh, he who arises in might. But he's gone by uh, quite a few other names as well. Let's hear it, Joel. He also goes by the name Bauglir, Belagurth, Belagur, Melko, Meleko, Melagor, Morgoth, Alkar, Arun, Mardello, the great enemy, the black foe, the corrupter, the marrer, the prime dark lord, Belka, and the first dark lord. Another character with a lot of names. He's pretty. He's pretty key. A lot of names. Yeah. Which we'll we'll mostly use uh, Melkor. We're we're yeah. most familiar with that term, probably because it's my gamer tag, and that's everyone in my friend group knows that. So most people know him as Morgoth. That more or less becomes his name once he turns evil but uh we've always called him melkor so yeah we feel we're more familiar with him that's his that's his official name that's his first name yeah so usually you're gonna hear him referred to as morgoth but me and joel like to call him melkor so yeah let's get all the way back to when he was named yeah and for this the in the beginning of the episode a lot like last episode we're gonna jump back all the way to the beginning to the anya lindelay once more in the, the Song of the Ainur. The Song of the Ainur in the Timeless Halls. Now, after the Ainur were created, uh, Melkor obviously had his time of discord. Now, when they weren't singing, uh, apparently Melkor was out exploring the void, and he was trying to find the flame imperishable, but he never found it because that is more or less within the one god Eru Ilvatar. But during his time out in the void, that's when Melkor started to get thoughts that were not in accordance with the other Ainur. That's when his, I don't know if you want to call it his corruption, but that's when his independent thought came into play. And one of the main reasons uh, we mentioned in the last episode as well was uh, the is that Melkor had more parts 
of the mind of Ilavatar than the others. He was greater in power and majesty yeah. than the others. And he had more knowledge of a, a wider range of things than other people did. Whereas other Ainur are kind of specialized in their expertise. If you so yeah, and that, and that um, <clears throat> the theme of uh, having more knowledge um, uh, leading to your corruption is uh, it's pretty central throughout Tolkien. And we'll get into it in a couple other instances here. Well, that's ultimately what leads Melkor to his discord during the Anjolindale. That's the song of creation. There were three main themes in that song, and each time, all three times, Melkor fucked it up. Fucked it up. And he not only just fucked it up, but he got others to follow his right, theme as to, well. Right, to join him in his which, discord. As we see when the world becomes physical, um, those are he. Well, I think he goes leaves and comes back with them later. But those are generally the Belrogs. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as uh, as they're created, um, Melkor is created as a brother to Manwe. Um, Manwe ends up being the leader of the Valar. Um, you know, once Melkor decides he doesn't want to. Once Arda is established, <laughs> Manwe is the he's the head of them on the planet, but. Melkor was pretty pissed off that he wasn't made head of them, being that he has more of the mind of Ilavatar than any other. Uh, but they they found Manway to be uh, more suited for the job. So yeah, um, when uh, Melkor initially uh, started his discord, um, Eru actually uh, rebuked him, but he praised at the same time he praised his strength. Um, but he he just basically told him that he needed to be reminded of his place, and uh, that's the kind of thing that. Melkor doesn't like to hear. <laughs> yeah, that 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 pissed him off quite yeah. a bit. Basically, telling him that even that was from something I gave you. So mm -hmm. good job, but let's keep it on track. Yeah. And so eventually, the song that they sing, the Anulindale, becomes incarnate as Arda, and the discord of Melkor, which he wove into the song, eventually leaks in as what we would call evil. And it, it, it's, it's a theme throughout Tolkien that evil is ever-present from the beginning. We see that in a lot of the characters that never actually die, like Melkor or Sauron, some of the evil characters. Their, their bodily form gets destroyed, but their spirit and malice and all the lies that they've sown with other people are always there. That's It's a very big theme in a lot of Tolkien's work. Yeah, and so um, as artists created... Uh, Many of the Ainur descend into it to to dwell there and to make it, um, make the song be, you know, and um, uh, so there was uh, Melkor was one of fourteen initially, um, seven uh, males and seven females, yeah, and uh, there is a, a latecomer called Tulkas, but we'll get to him in a second here. Yeah, the Valar, initially in the early days of the world, they were just trying to build it and get it ready for what they knew was to come, the children of Ilavatar, that's the elves and the men that, that they were promised. So they're trying to ready the world for these folks, and the entire time Melkor's working against them, and he's literally fucking up pretty much everything that they've yeah. done. It's literally like, they raise a mountain, he throws it down. They make a valley, he raises it up. Yeah, so eventually, in answer... To the issues he was kind of causing, this is where we see Tulkas. Tulkas, and he, yeah, he descends down in a fury uh, of laughter 
which he can also be you can always <laughs> always hear Tulkas by his laughter. And uh, he's really cool. He's like the warrior god, uh, uh, the warrior god. But like at the same time, he doesn't use weapons. Like he uses his bare fucking hands. To, he's like the beast. Yeah, he's like beast in the X Men. Like he doesn't need weapons. Just his hands is good enough. And uh, yeah, he's like the most fierce warrior. The only person that Melkor ever actually was afraid of. Yeah. As a result of him coming down, Melkor actually left for a little while. He we didn't see much of him. And uh, that's actually when he came back with the other Maiar that had right, fallen with him. Corrupted Maiar. The corrupted Maiar, and that's when he started to get his uh, his backup. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, that leads us to um, an era called the Years of the Lamps. This is um, this kind of leads up to one of his early most treacherous acts, and it has to do with the lamps. So, um, yeah, at this time, there's no real light, um, no source of light on the planet. So the Valar create, um, Aule um, specifically creates the, uh, and Aule, you'll remember, is the smith god. And uh, he creates the lamps in the north and south, and they burn and they light the world. Um, but Melkor wasn't having any of that shit. He hated the lamps and resented them. And he hated course, light. He hated the light. He preferred the darkness and the void. So, yeah, uh, Melkor leads an assault on the lamps, and he spills the fire, and it scorches a great portion of the earth, devastating Arda. Um, and this is, uh, he basically did this as a, as a diversion, essentially, to keep the Valar occupied while he um, took his army back to his, uh, his fortress of Utumno which is in the north wastes of Middle-earth. The northernmost portion of the world. So uh, Melkor, essentially, he sets up shop in Utumno, which is in the north, and the Valar, they form Valinor, which is in the west. Yeah, they've had enough of this at this point. They're kind of sick of having to deal with them. Every time they do something, he just tears it down. So they kind of take it, take it, take some time to recuperate, and they make Valinor separate from Middle-earth. And essentially in doing that, they kind of left Middle Earth, Middle Earth open to Melkor's reign. Right, yeah. They, they, they readied up, uh, up the continent of Amman rather than Middle Earth for the children of Ulvatar. They're like, we're just going to hang out over here for a while then and we're going to get this ready for them. But while they were doing that, they more or less just let Melkor do his thing over all of Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. which was a, a dark time, but it also meant that the Valar kind of missed the first coming of the elves. Melkor found them first. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, the elves awaken um, at the, on the shores of this place called Quivian, and, and uh, Melkor comes um, upon them first, and he starts kidnapping them and doing some nefarious deeds, which we'll talk about in a second here. Um, but essentially, Orome, the hunter god, is uh, out on the hunt, and he finds he comes across the Quivian and, and finds the elves, and um, they he teaches them to speak, and uh, and then he basically he learns from them for a while, and he learns that some of them are going missing, and they don't really know why. And, um, you know, they're just really concerned. And then uh, Orome is like, well, this isn't good. It's most likely Melkor. So all you guys, get your shit, 
follow me. We're going back to Valinor. And that's how the great journey begins. And this is when we start seeing the different tribes of elves. Because at this point, this is the beginning of elves. And when he tries to take them on the journey to Valinor, that's kind of what splits them up. And over time, mm-hmm. that's when we get the different types of elves. Like we've spoken about the Noldor multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of where that split starts. But we'll get into that. We're actually getting into that next week. Yeah, right? next yeah. week. Next, next week, week, we're sundering actually going to get uh, in Yeah, the origins and sundering of the elves. Yeah, it's going to be great. You guys are going to understand a lot more about elves, and you'll know a little bit more about what we're talking about when we say, <laughs> when we say Noldor versus Sindar versus Nandor. Versus, yeah, you'll know. The Teleri. The Teleri, yeah, there's another one. So, yeah, um, at this point, uh, the, the Valar, um, they're, they're done with Melkor. They're they're pissed off, and they are gonna. They basically assault him, and they wrap him up in this chain called Angainor, which is made by Aule, and it's indestructible. And they basically they round him up, and they put him on trial essentially. And uh, he's he's banished to what is it three, three ages in the halls of Mandos, right? Three ages. He's just not really there anymore. He's just hanging out in the halls by himself. Yeah, and so he's in there for three ages, which is uh, what what leads to the what they call the Spring of Arda, where everything starts to get lush and creatures are starting to be more of a thing, and like plants are becoming cool, and like you know, it's just it's it's the coolest time in all of because Melkor's not around to fuck everything up. He's he's locked away. Um, he d- he did leave some evil scattered back in the north. Um, they sacked Atumno, and Atumno's not much of a thing after this, but some of his evil creatures are still around, but he's not masterminding There's anything. no leadership. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so eventually, so Melkor is, he's in captivity for for three ages, and eventually, um, through the intercession of Nienna, who is um, who is basically the goddess of sorrow, Sorrow is it forgiveness or just sorrow? Well, like forgiveness, compassion, sorrow, all these, all these things. She literally weeps for all the sadness going on in the world, and she's that's constantly. what that's what she does. She's constantly weeping, constantly to the point where, like, me and Joel sometimes, when something terrible happens, we'll just be like, "Nienna weeps," which means we don't feel bad for you. Yeah, which means we don't feel bad because Nienna's feeling bad for you. It's not, it's not our, it's not our problem. So Nienna um, appeals to to Manway and says hey Melkor he's changed his ways he's a real cool guy you know after all he's one of the Valar like us why don't we let him go see what happens and and uh, Manway just because he's literally created without evil he has no comprehension of it he he says alright let's give him a chance let's, let's give him a chance he so, literally can't comprehend that Melkor is evil because he's not evil he can't comprehend really what that means so he's just like all right yeah here we go let's let him out so yeah and for a while uh melkor is just kind of he goes back to being the helpful uh uh um, valar he's he's going around he's hanging out with elves he's helping other people he just he's an everyday uh he's a real stand-up guy real stand-up citizen yeah and like he does this like he he gets people to like let their guard down and um Essentially, like, he's always manipulating. He's always playing. Because he's evil. He's not, like, he doesn't choose this way. You know, he didn't choose the evil life. The evil life chose him, you know? <laughs> Don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but he he started to find ways to weave lies into people's lives. Oh, yeah, his lies. Um, he he initially started with the null door because he found them particularly open to they're, yeah, learning. They're, they're open-minded people. They want to learn everything they can. And they were very useful. They were, they were talented. And he started to spread lies amongst them that the Valar were actually keeping them here so that they could give the rest of the world to the, to men. So he's, he's just trying to split people up. And it caused a lot of problems. And eventually the uh, the Noldor start to rebel against the Valar. Someone in particular, too, a, a real big character that we'll probably get into later, Feanor, the greatest... Spirit of fire. The greatest of the elves to ever live. So yeah, he essentially um, gets the Noldor to be uh, very uh, untrusting of the Valar, and he just uh, seeds lies within them, and it kind of de- just a really divisive. He's a d- really divisive character. Like all he really does is seek to divide people. I wish there was like another person that we could think of, like in real life, maybe that does that just constantly divides just constantly people divides people to seek power. I, I can't. I don't know. I don't know either. So. Um, yeah, so he caused a lot of problems by by just lying, just straight up lying to people, and um, so eventually he creates a rift within the Noldor, um, which we are about to do in episode two of Minnesota Tolkien Radio Drama. So it gets to the point where there are a lot of problems, and the Valar actually summon Feanor to the Ring of Doom. So they can sort this out and see what the what the heck is going on. Why why are the Noldor just so set against the Valar right now? And then that's when the lies of Melkor come to light, and everyone sees him for his uh, lying self. And at that point, he's gone. He's nowhere to be found. Right. And, and this is a is that when that's also when he draws his sword on Fingolfin, right? Is I believe so. Yeah, that's also when Feanor gets. He's a Feanor is a really dramatic guy. Yeah, they call him the Spirit of Fire for if, a yeah, reason. They don't, no, for it's kind of it kind of yeah. becomes a problem. But he he eventually gets so upset with all this going on that he even draws a sword on his own brother. Which is like and like this. We're talking about living in Valinor, which is a, t- a peaceful place, never known war. And um, he all of a sudden somebody draws a sword on it. Somebody else. Like I mean, you're already seeing the fruits of Melkor's. Lies and evil right here. I mean, just the fact that they're making weapons like this, the Noldor yeah. are stockpiling weapons right now. Nobody had made weapons until this point because there was no need, but this is all a result of Melkor's lies. So they realize that Melkor's behind all this and then they can't find him. And there's still a lot of tension between the elves and the Valar. The, uh, some of the Noldor still actually still want to leave. Mm-hmm. Even after they find out that it was Melkor saying all this stuff. Yeah, they're still down to leave. They're still they're down like, to leave. We're done with this shit all together. <laughs> it sucks. But, uh, so that's where our little scene comes into play. Because at one point, during all this tension, after Melkor's disappeared for a while and everyone knows it was him, he shows up again. And he tries to mm, sort of team up with Feanor. But right, he tries to get Feanor to... to to openly rebel and leave Middle Earth, or not Middle Earth? Excuse me, Amon. To go to Middle Earth. To go to Middle Earth, yeah. While at the same time trying to see this as a reason to get access to three of the most important objects, the Ever. Silmarils. The Silmarils, which were made by Feanor, and there, uh, the the it's a super complicated history. In fact, there's a whole book about it called the Silmarillion. You read should, it. You should read it. Um, 
Um, but basically, everybody wants these fucking things. Like, everybody wants the jewels. And uh, in Feanor, he's got them. And uh, um, he ain't letting nobody have them at this point. So Melkor shows up and uh, tries talking to Feanor after all this has gone down. And here's our little scene for you. For it was now in this time that the house of Finway was in great strife. The lies of Melkor have eroded the friendship between Finway's sons, Feanor and Fingolfin. By the decree of the Valar, Feanor has been banished from the city of Tyrion for drawing his blade against his brother. Feanor is working at his forge in the city of Formanos when Melkor approaches. Oh, yeah, there, son of Finway. Feanor looks up from his forge and meets Melkor's gaze. Melkor has a look that would suggest friendship, but Feanor does not reciprocate. How's it uh, going there, spirit of fire? Just super duper. How about yourself? Feanor does not look up from his work. Uh, nice day we're having here, huh? Old great Noldo? Feanor throws down the sword he is working on, frustrated. Oh, jeez. Can I maybe help you with something there, Melkor? Oh, yeah, I uh, I just came here to tell you how much of a darn crying shame I thought it was that the Valar banished you from your home after drawing your sword on that usurper half-brother you got there. Uh, real bad, yeah. Oh, yeah? You know what, Melkor? I think maybe you're a not-so-nice kind of person, you know? You told me that Fingolfin was trying to take my place and steal the love of my father, you know what I mean? I'm starting to think... You're maybe a not-so-honest kind of person. I think uh, I think maybe you're a big fibber. Melkor fakes indignation. Wow. Oh, jeez. You know what? I think you got me all wrong here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I came here to tell you that I could maybe, you know, help you get out of here. So you won't be so much of a captive of the Valar anymore. You know what I mean? Maybe get those Silmarils of yours to a safer place, maybe? Oh, hey now, what do you know about my jewels, hey? Yeah, no, yeah, just uh, that maybe the Valar would try to maybe take them from you. Uh, all I know is that if I were you, I'd let old Melkor help you, you know? Gotta get out of here. I'm just as much a Valar as any of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe you're right, hey. Maybe the Noldor will be better off without the Valar controlling our every move, you know? Oh, yeah. Let me help you out there. You know, old Melkor has always been a good old friend of the Noldor. We go way back. Oh, yeah. Long time. It was in this moment that Feanor saw through the intentions of Melkor. He sensed Melkor's lust for the Silmarils. He became filled with wrath. Yeah, you know what, hey? Why don't you just go on and get out of here, you know? You're just a big old fibber. You ain't said a goldarn true thing since you descended down into Arda. You may be fooling everyone else since you got out of jail, you know, but... I know you're a darn bald-faced liar. Why do you just uh, get out of here before I call Tukas down to take you back to Mandos? How would you like that, huh? Oh, hey, now, you got no cause to get all snippy with me. I mean, you ought to... Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm done talking to you, hey? I've had about enough of your fibbing. You go on and get off my property now. Hey, now there. Go on. Get. I said get. And with that, he closed the doors of his house in the face of the mightiest of all the dwellers of Ea. And Melkor smiled. This is the sound of me smiling. Oh, smiles. 
All right, we hope you enjoyed that uh, Minnesota Tolkien radio drama. That was episode two. That was the second time we've ever done that. Um, we're probably going to keep doing it because we're having a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, give us some feedback, guys. Uh, yeah. Shoot us uh, shoot us a comment on Facebook or maybe tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Yeah, if you like it, let us know. If you Is hate there it, uh, we'll something just... that you want to hear us talk about? Oh, or? yeah, just, oh, just let us know. Just let us know, you know. All right, so at this point, we're in what's called the Years of the Trees. Um, Yavanna had created these these trees, Laudalin and Telperion, and they light the world. They're essentially the sun and moon, and um, Valinor is in the commingled light of the trees. So like they get, it's just awesome there. It's all a the gold tree and a silver tree, and they're they're like the one of the greatest things the Valar have ever created at this point. Right, and um, of course, because they give off light and everyone loves them, Melkor hates them. So he decides that he's going to really stick it to the Valar, and pretty much everybody. So he gets his friend Ungoliant, who's a giant spider creature. They don't even specify necessarily spider. She's a spider-like, a spider-like demon creature. of some kind yeah. that he finds in the edges of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're not really sure what the origins are of Ungoliant. That's kind of one of those Tolkien mysteries, which we might get into. We were kind of thinking about doing a Tolkien mysteries episode, which would be kind of fun. She's she's almost like an uh, incarnation of insatiable hunger and right. darkness. Right. She gives off something called anti-light. Unlight. Unlight, I'm sorry. Yeah. And it it's a lot like what it sounds. It's, it's not just like casting shadows on something. It's literally like taking the light away and just making everything dark. Right, just complete darkness, like no perception. Uh, you can't perceive anything within it. Um, so yeah, Melkor uh, teams up with Ungoliant, his uh, spider demon friend, and they decide that they're going to go fuck up the trees. So while everyone's off partying, because it's some sort of holiday... Um, they come in and they, uh, Melkor tosses one of his spears into the trunk, um, into each of the trunks and Ungoliant sucks out all the sap and she gets all fat and the trees wither and they die. And then, um, almost as important as that on their way out after that, they stop by, well, they stop by Formanos, they stop by Formanos, which is a place where they stash a lot of their the Noldor stash a lot of their their, their jewels, goods, their yeah. jewels. That is where the head of the one of the houses of the Noldor live. That's the house of Finway. Finway, and he kills Finway and steals the three Silmarils, along with a shitload of other gems. along with a lot of other gems and things. But these these two things were just the absolute worst things you could have probably done. Mm-hmm. The Silmarils are now the only things left that had the light of the trees. That was what was so special about them. When right. Feanor made them, they contained the light of the two trees, and now those trees are dead. Mm-hmm. And so they're the only source of uh, they're the only source of that. light. Yeah. Um. This is where Melkor finally gets the name Morgoth after Feanor learns of the death of his father. He dubs him officially the Black Enemy. Morgoth. And, uh, yeah, so even though this is the point in the story where um, everything from this point on will be, he'll be referred to as Morgoth, we're going to still rec- uh, refer to him as Melkor, probably. We'll try, but 
just so you know, they're the same person, right? We covered this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, Ungolian and uh, and Melkor they take off and they go over the Helcorex, which is basically a glacier, which kind of connects. It's basically the Bering Strait of Middle Earth, right? Exactly, and it connects Amman to uh, to Beleriand, kind of like how Alaska connects to Russia. Right, exactly, and um, yeah, and there's like glaciers, and you can like cross them, if you're you know if you're good, you can cross them. People try and people die. We'll get into that, um, but yeah, so they go across the Helcorex, and um, they get to a point where, um, Angaliant wants all the jewels, and she's gonna eat them because that's what she's been doing. She's eating these jewels, and Melkor gives her all the jewels, except for three which he holds in his hand behind his back. And uh, they're the Silmarils, which is funnily enough because they're burning his hand as he holds them behind his yeah, back. Yeah, anything evil that touches the Silmarils is instantly in excruciating pain and it burns exactly. them. Exactly. But and he, like, he wants them, so... And he, yeah, so like forever since this moment, um, his hands are black. Like you'll always see in artist renderings and stuff, his hands will be black because they're literally burnt from holding the Silmarils. And um, so he refuses to give her the Silmarils, and she's not so happy. And because she's drank all the light of the trees and ate all these other jewels, she's just friggin' huge now. And um, she gains enough power to just overcome Melkor. And she throws him down, and he... uh, This is in a place called uh, Lamoth. um, And uh, the Balrogs actually have to come save him, because uh, he lets out a huge scream, and they hear him. And they come down and save him um, from Ungoliant. Yeah, he basically calls Uncle. I mean, yeah. she's she's got him, and she's got him good to the point where he's wailing in pain, and everyone can hear it. Mm-hmm. And they say it's like it's like legend or whatever in in Balerion that if you go there, you can still hear the screams of Melkor echoing throughout the valley. But at this point, uh, the Belrog saved him, and now he is safe back in Angban, where he wants to be. And this is when uh, Melkor establishes Angband as his uh, permanent um, stronghold. He creates the Thangaradrum, which are three huge mountains of slag. Um, Just from delving out Angban and expanding it and putting in giant furnaces to make who knows what. He's just made mountains and mountains of slag outside of his, outside of his fortress. So yeah, and um, so the 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 theft of the Silmarils, um, and holding up an Angband essentially create um, a series of events which causes the Noldor to leave Valinor and come to Beleriand, seeking revenge on Melkor. So the um, the the Noldor are really really mad at at uh, Morgoth and so they cross the Helcorax or they get that's a whole other story but they get to Beleriand and um, they immediately the host of Feanor goes up and Feanor tries to basically knock on the <laughs> on the gates of Angband by himself and um, he's essentially murdered by a bunch of Balrogs He's trying to get Morgoth himself, but um, he doesn't want anything to do. Morgoth doesn't want anything to do with it, and the uh, the Balrogs come, they kill Feanor, and um, that's the end of Feanor, who is one of the great characters and one of the great Noldor. Um, so yeah, he's so killed. at this point, this is the beginning of the very first age. 
This is the elder days. This is where a lot of the meat is in Tolkien's work. Um, it all starts here, and it's all taken place in Beleriand, and it's it's really beautiful. Um, it a lot of it is centered around the major battles of Beleriand that happen here on out between the elves and Melkor, and there are six major battles of Beleriand. This is all part of the War of the Great Jewels, which is obviously started by the Silmarils. Right. Uh, the first battle that happens in Beleriand is actually before the Noldor get there. This is after Melkor has already set up shop, and he's already causing problems with the Sindar, the Sindar. elves that are already there, that never left to go to Valinor. Mm -hmm. And there's a battle that they have between them, and uh, the Sindar are ultimately beaten there. Uh, the second battle is when Feanor comes over, and uh, Feanor gets killed. Doesn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third battle, which is called the Glorious Battle. It's the first one where the Noldor actually win. And uh, it's also the first time we see a dragon. This is mm -hmm. when the very first dragon comes out, and his name is Glaurung. He's the father of dragons, but he's very young at this point, and he actually wasn't supposed to come out. And uh, he's he, curious. Yeah, he's, he's curious. curious little guy. He's a curious little guy. He wasn't <laughs> even half grown when he came out for this battle, which is why he was so easily defeated. I mean, just arrows were enough to hurt him, and he he fled yeah. back. He and Melkor was pretty pissed. Kid. Yeah, Melkor was pretty pissed off about that. So he well, he he was more upset that they knew they have dragons now, right? Right. Yeah, he revealed like, himself early. Yeah. <laughs> but at that point, uh, it was a pretty pretty overwhelming victory for the elves, and that's why they call it the Dagor Aglareb, which is. The glorious battle. The glorious battle. It was a glorious win. And, and after that battle, they laid siege on Angband for 455 years. So it was a pretty peaceful time for a while. And yeah. then came the fourth battle of Beleriand, which... Which is my favorite to say. Can I say it? You, please. Dagor Bracolak, which is the battle of sudden flame. This was the beginning of the dark times in Beleriand during the First Age. There's a, there's a lot of... Uh, really cool tales that happen after this. Uh, the three major tales of the First Age all take place post um, the Battle of Sudden Flame. Uh, the first major one being Baron and Luthien. takes place not long after. But what happens is during the siege that was going on Angband for 455 years, they just had him trapped down there. They had Melkor trapped down there, and he was just brooding and brooding and brooding. And uh, 455 years later, when they're... Guard was low. One night, he just burst open the doors of Angban, and giant rivers of fire and lava came issuing forth, completely destroying and burning the landscape in front of Angban, and just orcs came out, Glaurung came out himself, and now he was fully grown, and he was big, and he was black, and he was mean. Um... It was it was awful. There were a lot of there were a lot of deaths that happened just right away from all the fire and all the confusion. Uh, the entire land in front of Angban was was changed, and it got the name the Onfaugleth, which is the gasping dust, because it was nothing but dust after that. Yeah, it was pretty. It was a, a pretty like prairie thing called Ardgarland before that, like a big grassland, and that was all destroyed and burnt into a wasteland. So the Noldor were utterly, utterly defeated after that battle. And like I said, it started the dark, the dark times. And, oh, I threw myself off. 
fuck. And from then on, it's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of yeah, evil going gets, on. It gets real sad. Real a lot quick. of the stories that are told in this period are tragedies. This is where we get the children of Hurin as well. It's the saddest story ever told. The saddest story ever told. <laughs> um, well, I suppose the children of Hurin actually comes after the next the big next battle. Because there's another major battle. The fifth battle of Blarian called the Nirnaith. The Battle of Unnumbered Tears, and it's called that for a reason, because the f- it was truly awful. There was absolute slaughter. Yeah, and that was the one that everyone thought they were going to win. Like, they went into that battle like, we've got all the Naldor, all the Sindar, the dwarves are going to show up, we got all these men, and we're going we're gonna to take Angband, and it's going to be the end of, of Morgoth. And lo and behold, uh, a bunch of the men decide to betray everybody, and then... Um, the lines were broken and it just, it fucking, it, 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 it was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, the high king of the Naldor, Fingon, has his head split in half the long way by a Balrog called Gothmog. There's a big burst of light and flame that comes up from his helmet when it happens too. It's really dramatic. Um, Huor is killed. Huor is, uh, one of the leaders of the house of Hador. Um, which one of is the houses of men. One of the houses of men. It's a big um, deal. His brother Hurin is captured, which leads directly into the story of the children of Hurin, which is very sad. Which again is the sad, the sad, the saddest story ever told. <laughs> During this battle, I think you can, I think we can safely say that this is probably the second biggest battle of all time in the Tolkien universe. Uh, the biggest being the War of Wrath that changed the world, but this was absolutely massive. After the battle was done. There was an, a huge knoll, a giant hill of dead bodies that was just forever there. And it was so sad to see that uh, one of the, uh, I think it was Huor's wife, Huor we just mentioned, died when she came looking for him and she found yeah, the mound was, of bodies. I think that was Huor's wife. She literally just laid down there in sadness and died. It was just extremely depressing. Mm-hmm. But during the battle... One cool thing that happened, and yes, it was with the dwarves, because as we mentioned earlier... Oh yeah? Something cool happens with the dwarves, Joel? Yeah. Tell us about it. I will tell you about it, because it's cool. Okay. (laughs) So like you you mentioned earlier, this wasn't just elves and men. They got the dwarves in. There were a couple dwarven strongholds on the eastern edges of Beleriand in the mountains. And so the dwarves of the uh, city of Belagost... They came with, and they were fucking prepared for this dragon shit, okay? Yeah, they, they, they really ha- focused on the dragon. They really focused on the dragon, and they took out Glaurung relatively early, actually. They uh, made a circle around him, and they had some crazy armor, and they were eventually able to more or less stab him in the chest. And But in the process, their king was killed, their king Azagal. It was it was a really dramatic thing for them, and they actually left the battle. Yeah, they leave after that, right? They were as like, soon as their king is done, and they they I mean they've done a lot, mind you. They got rid of Glaurung. Well, the they got dragon. Glaurung to fuck off for a little bit. But yeah. in the middle of the battle, the men and elves are fighting, and they turn around in complete confusion just to see the dwarves ceremoniously exiting the battle with their dead king, and they're like, "All right, I guess we're on our own now." Mm-hmm. And it really goes south from there. There's nothing yeah. good that happens. Nothing good, and uh, a lot of cool people are killed. After this, all of the major kingdoms of the Noldor are completely dispersed and destroyed, except 
for one. Gondolin. That is Gondolin, led by Turgon. It's the secret kingdom that Melkor can't find. He's been trying well, to then, find. Th- well, th- that was the thing about the Nirnaeth, too. Remember the Gondolindrum? That was the first time they showed up. Mm-hmm. That was the first time they showed up to a battle, and everyone's like, oh, Turgon is here. We're going to have such a... Oh, man. It's, and then Fingon, his brother, who hadn't seen him in years. There's a really cool part in the Nirnaeth where um, where uh, Huor, Hurin... Um, Fingon and Turgon all meet each other on the battlefield. It is a really cool scene. It's a really cool scene. It's kind of like uh, <laughs> it's kind of like that episode from Game of Thrones when all the badasses went north of the wall. To right, the recent episode. Yeah, exactly. Which I don't know why they decided to do that, but it was a really cool team up of a bunch of badasses and some people that haven't seen each other in a really yeah, long like, time. Yeah, like Fingon and Turgon, they're brothers. They haven't seen each other for hundreds of years. Yeah, and like, they just meet up in the middle of this battle, just back and then, to back. And then he's then Fingon is almost fucking immediately killed, and then Turgon's like, "I gotta get out of here." Yeah, like, they get split up. Uh, they drive a wedge between them, and yeah, everything goes south. And that's when Fingon gets killed, and people get pushed away, and eventually, so they get split in the middle of the battle, and everyone has to turn and flee. And uh, Huor and Turgon agree. Turgon and the people of Gondolin have to leave. Yeah, and then um, he says he turns to to Huor. Huor is basically going to hold him off while while um, while Turgon gets out of there, and he says something onto the effect like, "From our houses, um, a hope will be born for the children of Ilavatar." There's something on those lines, um, which uh, is uh, alluding to the the next story that's about to come up, the story of Aerendil. So after that, essentially, that was that was one of the last major battles of of Beleriand, and it was another complete, utter defeat for the elves. Um, Melkor had essentially won at that point. He was ruling Beleriand, and he did later get Gondolin, and Gondolin was overthrown. Which is a whole other story. That and we'll he cover, is completely destroyed all the strongholds of the elves, and there isn't really any strongholds left other than the people that have gone to the coast with whom other than Círdan. Círdan... Kirdan the shipwright. Kirdan has a group of people that are living on the coast in a bay, and that's where everyone kind of goes to congregate. And uh, they actually end up being okay in the long run. But um, at that point, uh, the uh, the prophesized son between the two houses comes, yeah. Erendil. Erendil, uh, son of Tuor and Idril. And Erendil is able to sail all the way to Valinor on his own and single-handedly using, go to... Using the power of the Silmaril, but we'll get... To, well, obviously, get, uh, he gets a hold of a Silmaril. He gets a hold of a Silmaril, <laughs> and Círdan gives him, like, his best ship, mm-hmm. and they t- he takes that to go find Valinor to go plead for their help. Because on behalf of, like, both kindreds, because he's, cause he's, um, he's man and elf. He's half elf, half man. And a little bit of Meyer, too. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of Meyer in there. Yeah. This is where the descendants of Aragorn come from. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it works, which is a miracle. And that's when the War of Wrath happens. And that's when the Valar and all the hosts of Valinor come to Middle-earth and assault Angban and destroy Melkor. But the War of Wrath is absolutely insane. It's the biggest battle ever, ever, ever fought. It literally destroys and sinks Beleriand. Yeah, Beleriand's not there. Like After this battle is done, literally Beleriand is gone, and all that's left is what what you know in the Third Age is Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Like you're probably thinking, like, 
Man, I've looked at a lot of maps of Middle Earth, and I've never heard of this Polarion place they're talking about. That's because it's underwater now. Like, you won't see it on a map. If you go on our website, you can go either onto our Twitter or onto our Facebook. I'm going to actually post a picture of a map that shows where Balerion was. Where it was, yeah. That's a cool it's, map. It's a cool map to look at. You guys should check it out. But uh, at this point, the world is completely changed, and Melkor desperately defends himself because he knows this is the end for him Mm -hmm. and he also in this battle this is when he releases his final desperate attempt to defend himself and he releases a horde of winged dragons dragons. and it is actually a big enough problem where it pushes the hosts of valinor back and it's a huge huge issue there's one major dragon called uh Anglican the Black, I believe, or some, yeah, something like that. Something yeah. very close to that. And he is so large that his wings blotted out the light over a lot of the battle. And when he yeah. was thrown down, eventually, he literally crushed the three peaks of Thangaradrum yeah. with his body. Freaking huge, man. He was a colossal-sized dragon. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, at the end of this... Uh, just battle that's almost beyond words. Like, it's not even really described all that much in Tolkien. It's kind of up to you to be like... Because you, it sets you up and like tells you who's there and like what the after effects are. So you're just kind of left in your own mind to be like, well, this was the craziest battle that's ever happened, ever. And so, yeah, at the end of this craziest craziest battle of all craziest battles, they, um, they, uh, they overthrow Melkor. Um, they get him right, like... They go, like, right down to get him. They okay. go right down into Angbang to get him, and they literally, as he pleads with them, they hew his feet out from underneath him, <laughs> and then they take his uh, iron crown that he had the Silmarils set in. Now he's only got two of the three in there. But they take the Silmarils out, and they bang it down around his neck into a collar, mm-hmm. and then they chain him up once again in those chains, and they throw him into the void. And they and they also set uh, Arendil up there to keep watch. Arendil with one of the Silmarils. With one of the Silmarils keeping him at bay. Flying across the sky in his boat every day. Isn't he the sun, essentially? No, he's the star, Arendil. He's yeah. the star, that's right. Yeah. The they Lord. literally call the, the Silmaril up in the sky. They point to it and they say that's Arendil. Because it literally friggin' is Arendil. Like, it is. He's <laughs> flying around yeah. in a boat. So, like, yeah, Elrond can literally look up at the sky and be like... There's my father. <laughs> Just <laughs> there he is up there. Yeah, we didn't mention that. Uh, he had two. Arendil had two sons, Elrond and Elros. Elros be- uh, came on, went to be a man. Yeah, they got a choice. Uh, Elrond chose to stay an elf, and uh, Elros went on to to be the line of men that Aragorn comes from. So, actually, fun fact. Elrond is Aragorn's like great 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 uncle, like super great uncle. But they're related, which means that him and Arwen are cousins. Oh boy, yeah. There might be enough distance to be called kissing cousins there, but I don't. Yeah, I think it's fine. There's enough distance, right? Right. What is like the scientific? I don't think there is. I don't think there is a scientific okay. It's a legal. It's. I think it's a legal thing. Well, I mean, what if they're like your tenth cousin? Well, I mean, uh, what does that mean? Or, I mean, you're probably my tenth cousin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Anyway, off topic. <laughs> um, but that is that is the majority of what we see of Melkor. That's yeah, the majority. That's really I mean, at that point, he has effect on the world after that, but that's simply 
because of that's his part. That's oh, the, yeah. because of the the lies and evil that he's already sown into the world. Mm-hmm. This is this goes right along with Tolkien's theme of how evil is always there and you can't ever really get can't rid of it. Can't get rid of it. I mean, you see it pop up again with the Black Numenorians when uh, Sauron twists the Numenorians to worship Melkor. You see some of that coming out there, and then also they mention in the Fourth Age. Yeah, the uh, the new shadow. There's a Morgoth cult that uh, rises up in Gondor. Yeah, after all of the events of the, of the Lord of the Rings, after the War of the Ring is done, and there's uh, a bunch of prosperity, and the Fourth Age begins, there's a cult of Morgoth that comes up. Yeah, and that's a, that's a little... That was a story that Tolkien was um, he was considering expanding on, but he never really did. And if you want to read about that, that's in the uh, History of Middle-Earth series, uh, Volume 12, which is uh, Peoples and Places of Middle-Earth. And it's chapter 16 of volume 12, The New Shadow. Something I actually haven't read yet, but I... I haven't read it either. I, I really, I'm really excited to get to it. Yeah, I'm getting through it. I'm getting through History of Middle Earth. So much. So much stuff. But that's all we've got for you today, right, guys. Yeah, guys. That was, that was a fun episode. Now you guys know about the original bad guy. He is the original Dark Lord. Yeah. But uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Yeah, Please so give us some feedback. Go ahead and hit us up on Facebook. Let us know if you liked it. Or you can tweet at us at our yeah. Twitter page. And uh, next week, if you guys want to tune in then, we really hope you do, we're going to give you a little backstory on the elves. Sundering of the elves. It's going to be a good one. I got note cards and uh, diagrams and all <laughs> kinds. I literally, like, that might sound like bullshit, but I have diagrams that I made about the Sundering of the Elves. We'll be looking over that. <laughs> we hope you review for next time. <laughs> review for next time. But thanks for tuning in, guys. Once again, it has been Keep On Tolkien with Joel N. Danny J. See you next time. Keep on keeping on Tolkien. Keep on Tolkien.